Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is his faithful sidekick, Peyton Jones. You're not a sidekick. <laughs> You're the superhero that everyone comes to listen to. I'm the sidekick. I don't know. I'm Boy Wonder, Peyton Jones, here to join you for the podcast. I don't know where this is coming from. It's just coming out. Words are coming out. I like my I like my coffee cup. Oh, oh so my goodness. That. Hey, I'm not on another podcast. It's cool. I just got crashed. <laughs> You just got what? Doberman's wives' uh, speakerphone calls just crashed my podcast. Okay. All right. Cool. Hey, you like my mug? I love my I mug. I do. You know who has that mug? Who? Dave Thompson. No kidding. New breeder, Dave Thompson. I've got a picture of him. What great holding- company to be in. That's all oh, I got to say. Heck yeah, man. You know what their church does is epic airsoft gun tournaments. Hey, is their church still doing the coffee shop? Uh, sort of. Yeah. So they they literally had like just in back of that building, um, somebody sold them for dirt cheap, a, a massive building in that area. And they turned that thing into uh, so much more. It's like a multi-use, multi-purpose building now. And uh, they're on like their fourth church plant. So the, these were the first new breed uh, I, I guess really I was writing church zero up in Oregon and I, I met this guy at church. Everyone's like, you should talk to Dave. You should talk to Dave. And I'm like, Oh, I got to meet this Dave Thompson. Turns out as a guy I was talking to, uh, after the service, you know, cause I just happened to sit in front of him and he noticed my doc Martins that and see was, that happens to you all the time. Yeah. So the whole time I'm going around having coffee afterwards. Oh, you got to talk to David. It was the first guy I talked to at the church. It was totally the Holy Spirit. That's funny. You know? 
he he was the first guy to go through jump school and whatever iteration or incarnation. I you know, I have no idea what you're talking about because I know it wasn't any of the jump schools that you and I worked on together. Hey, and after after our podcast a few weeks ago, jump school could now be a board game. I mean, we have no idea. Not a Ouija board, not a Ouija board game. You know, you're not gonna talk to heaven through jump school that, that have you seen that new show board. on uh, on Netflix? No. There's a whole documentary, like five or six episodes on uh, near-death experiences from people. Oh, I saw that. I need to watch it. Instead, Peyton has been positively filling his time watching the Night Stalker documentary. Which, oh, how is that? I haven't seen it yet. Because I, I, I remember I, that growing up. I lived through that as well. Dude, he was hitting Orange County where I grew up. Like, it was a thing. And I remember the day he was caught, like... We followed, everybody followed that thing in California, particularly yeah. Southern California, like the back of your hand. And, and yes, the documentary, um, if you're sensitive, do not watch it. Really? Um, but wow. well, just because they show like pictures of the murder scene and the victims, you know, their eyes are blocked out, whatever it's graphic. Um, you know, I haven't been a firefighter and an RN that's, it's not a big deal to me. But I realized, like, Andrew's like, should I watch it? And I said, no, you definitely should not watch it. But I do have to say it was a masterfully done wow. documentary. It's probably one of the best-made documentaries I've ever seen. It starts with, uh, I did not know this, one of the um, the investigators was Hispanic. He was promoted to detective. And that was kind of radical for back then. This is in the 70s to have a Hispanic detective. I think it was early eighties, wasn't it? Cause I remember it all in seventies. I don't know that seventies. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. He, he had a four year span, four to five year span that he was hitting. And, um, it, it was, it was pretty crazy, wow. but anyways, yeah, it was primarily in the eighties. Um, I, I, I want to say he was caught in 85. Um, but, but his first victims were in the seventies, but they weren't publicized. Okay. Um, and then he, in 81, I think was his first, uh, hit where they linked it to serial killing. But anyway, sorry guys, welcome to the church planner podcast. Today's topic is going to be discipleship, but I, I do want to say this about it. it and you're going to disciple off, like a night stalker. No, it no. It started off with him. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, it started off with the guy saying he was a Catholic, strong Ooh. Hispanic Catholic. Really powerful. Like, like I love this dude. You fall in love with this dude, man. Um, he's like this big Mexican guy, and uh, he, he's real young. And he gets he gets linked uh, because he's got this theory that this he was the guy, this young kid that said he this is all the same dude. And everyone laughed him off the off the map until they stuck him with this kind of well known detective who's looking for a partner who had solved the hillside or the, uh, yeah, the hillside strangler case. And that guy heard this guy and went, he's on to something. This is a, this is good detective work. They partnered up. And as soon as they partnered up, those two guys then solved the case. But here's the thing. It starts off with him saying, I'm a Catholic. I believe strongly in good and evil. I believe in God. I pray every night and I believe in the devil. And, uh, and he said, I believe there is evil out there. And of course, if you know anything about Cormac uh, uh, McCarthy's um, uh, book, No Country for Old Men, once you watch the documentary, you realize he was heavenly inspired by this case. 
Mm. And the people, the people, once you get to know the detectives, you're like, okay, the same points these guys are making are the same point he makes in uh, No Country for Old Men, which is really just about the fact that evil walks among us and it has no other purpose but just to be evil. And at one point, they've got him in the questioning room and he says, and when I'm talking to that's what you're saying, the point of No Country for Old Men is. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Have you ever read that? Read it. I watched the movie. So you got to read the book. His books are more about God than you ever realize. I would say the road was all about God and no country for old men was all about the devil. I don't even know who he is that you're talking about. He's the author. He's the author of the book that that was based on, which as you know, I'm a reader. So I read that book. Fantastic. As you know, I'm a movie aficionado. (laughs) But, you know, these these are the cultural conversations. I'm thinking about starting a reading group for ministers. It's all about having these cultural conversations through pop culture and other things. Um, Just books that people ought to know about so they can have gospel conversations. Doesn't have to be fiction. Doesn't have to be nonfiction. Could be a science book. Could be whatever. But being well-rounded like Spurgeon was so that everything eventually becomes harnessed for Jesus to write in on. You know, the, the master has need of this donkey. And I'm, I'm thinking about that. But um, one of the things that uh, he says at one point, they're questioning him in the room. And he said his his hands started to, to, to lift off the table like like this. And he goes, you know, I, I, I mean, I've been in detective work for this many years. And he's like, and I thought to myself, if this guy starts floating around the room because the sense of evil was so strong, you could feel it. They would say he would walk into the courtroom and you could feel the evil. And of course, he was a major Satanist and he was, you know, had pentagrams carved into him. Um, It's just really weird. And they would talk about his eyes, how his eyes, they would just say there was, it was like looking into the eyes of of, of Satan. But at the end, what was really amazing is the final lines are, you know, keep in mind, he's a Catholic. He says, every night I pray. And he's, he gives us Hail Mary full of grace. And then he ends by saying, and then I give a litany of names of people that I'm praying for their redemption. And he, he says, and then the last name on my list is Ramirez. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was just powerful because here's, here's this dude that, I mean, they hated this guy. And I think the guy is just praying that because he needs to pray that, you know, and of course in his theology as a Catholic, he's, He's thinking that, hey, who knows what happens to Ramirez, and then maybe he's in purgatory, maybe he's not in hell, maybe there's hope for him. So he's praying for the salvation of everybody, right, which is is what some Catholics do. I, I, I can't speak for all Catholics, but I know some who, that's how they think, that's how they pray. And uh, But anyways, the, 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 the documentary was good, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's good for me to watch serial killer documentaries. <laughs> Did you watch the other one on Netflix where they studied? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got to stop. <laughs> Did you watch? Uh, yes. <laughs> it's been a hobby of late and it needs to stop. It's, it's not a good place for your mind to go because I, I do honestly feel it's demonic. And, 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 and there has to be, I remember being a psych nurse and feeling at a certain point, like you can only see so much of this before your brain starts to go, I cannot compute anymore. Mm. Um, 
And, and that, to be honest, no country for old men. That's the whole point of that is the guy's one week from retirement, if you remember, and he encounters someone who's very similar to the Night Stalker, evil for the sake of evil. And, um, and, and it's him trying to work through, trying to understand what is this? What have I just encountered? I, I didn't believe in this kind of evil before. And so it's someone coming to grips with the fact that there is evil because in our culture, we always explain away evil. Uh, well, you know, his upbringing and uh, those things always play a part. They're definitely a factor, but at a certain point, evil just exists and it becomes. Well, yeah. It, to bring this back to politics, as I always do, it kind of reminds me of that line that Reagan is famous for saying something like, you know, I believe that that everyone is basically good. And, you know, it's I remember when I visited the Reagan library, it's like, you know, they've got it enshrined there. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. As a Christian, I don't believe that people are basically good. I'm like, uh, no, uh, kind of the opposite. Uh, we're all basically evil. Yeah. And, and you uh, see, you see pieces of the image of God. You see reflections of the shattered image of God in people redeemed and unredeemed. So the image of Christ is being reformed within the redeemed, but the unredeemed, you can see still that they were made in the image of God when they do amazing things. And yet they're still evil, you know, yeah. all are, all are corrupt. The Bible says all have turned to the welcome memory. to the church planner podcast, everybody. This is a little yeah. bit of your uh, smack talk than we usually get into. I know. You know, I interviewed an entrant, uh, entrant, uh, an entrant, entrant into the New Breed Network uh, this week from Germany. His name's Janos. So I'll give you a shout out. Yeah. Um, I know Janos. Hey, hey, do you? Of course I do. It connected to Joey Roper. Or yeah, I know him. Well, not Joey Roper, but I know Janos. Take that, Joey Roper. Remember when we used to bag? And apparently, Janos tells me, or Janos, sorry. Janos tells me that uh, that was one of the highlights of Joey Roper's life. He enjoyed being was when, he, when he got the mention on the podcast. Take that, Joey Roper. It's so yeah, funny. I don't even remember. I literally do not remember anything we would say about Joey Roper. I, I don't remember. I think Joey left us a positive review, but had a comment in there. Oh, is that and, what started it? Well, that yeah, would do it and, for us. And, and he said, you know, the smack talk was, you know, which he then later recanted and repented of, as they always do, Pete. But, uh, <laughs> but it was good-natured fun and ribbing. I remember at one point reaching out to Joey and saying, hey, you know, we're just we're just messing, right? Like we, we, you know, we, we totally appreciate it. He's like, I know, I know. I, I, I think I know you guys pretty well, but uh, yeah, back from the early days that, that, that when he, when he said, Oh, I, you know, I used to serve a Joey Roper over here. I was like, dude, that's awesome. So Joey planted the church Yeah, and um, Janos has since taken it over. So, yeah. minute, so funny how that, how that works, man. It's kind of come full circle. Yeah, I know. I remember uh, Janos, because I talked to him several times. We were going to do a project together there for a while. Um, I was always surprised at how good his English was. I was like, it was quite good. Like he speaks English very well. Yeah. Probably better than us. Well, that's not saying much. <laughs> I mean, let's be straight here, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So what has you want to ask about this, don't you? I do. You, What's the those, black mark on your head? Those of you listening to the podcast, we Facebook live this thing at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Facebook on the Church Planner Magazine channel. Um, but 
Uh, so you can't see this, but I, and I did this in front of my daughter the other day. Right. And, and, you know, like when you do something really stupid and you no. think, oh man, I'm so, <laughs> no, that's never happened to you. Um, but you think, oh man, I'm so glad no one was around to see this. I literally did this. And my wife, or my, my daughter, because now I have three women in the house. So they all laugh at me. And she just looked at me and goes, what dad? Cause she's 12. She's like, what did you just do? And, and I had to laugh because normally when I get hurt, I get mad. It's like Hulk, you know, you know, Hulk smash, you know, you, 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 me. you mean like, like pocket size Hulk, right? <laughs> Hulk smash. <laughs> Oh man, that was so good. That's honestly one of the best lines ever. You mean, but like pumpkin size? That is rad. That is rad. I literally, if we get another another T-shirt, me drag on is or me rapido and pocket size Hulk. We need a pocket size Hulk T-shirt, right? That would be like the Pete and the and the and the and the and the Peyton T-shirt collection. So. All right. I, I won't ever mention that to my wife. She does not listen to the podcast. And by the way, that was the funniest meme you sent to me this week about that. What did I say? Oh, <laughs> when you want to have a serious conversation with your wife, but she doesn't even listen to your podcast. Yeah. That's what it, it said. Something like uh, when the wife wants you to talk about your feelings. <laughs> See, you got your, you got your noise muffler on. So when you go the high pitched, we can't hear it. I said that on Ministry Ninja today. I'm like, I have to be careful because apparently I learned last week when I got high pitched and excited and I screech like a like a junior high girl at a football game. Where uh like Dustin Diamond on Save by the Bell, go for it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I was trying to remember the name of that Korean um pop band that's really big. And and I was mentioning this on the Ministry Ninja podcast. And Barry busted it out like it was nothing. Like, oh, such and such. And I said, I knew you wouldn't let me down. I knew, Barry, you would know that band. It's a boy band in Korea. And they're like super big. And he knew it. Something I have, pop. I have no idea what you're know. talking about. Hell bop. I, I know that's a comment, but it was like something pop and or bop. And he knew it right away. And I was like, I knew you wouldn't fail me on that, on boy bands. Okay. So are you going to tell us what happened to your head or not? Oh. Oh, so, oh, that, yes, yes, five tangents ago. So I, I'm going, we, okay, so obviously we're adding on to our house. It's like telling you, oh, I have a check, you know, a textbook coming out. Um, I literally, we're in this teeny like walk-in, it's this mini storage room and all of our wardrobes are in there because we don't have proper bedrooms at this point, right? The kids' playroom is divided in half Kids have a bedroom on one side. We have a bedroom. It's like Charlie Bucket and their family, not quite in the same bed with our feet touching, but it's a cramped space. So our wardrobes have to be in the, another storage room. So it's like a maze. It's like in an L shape. You have a storage, storage, storage. And I was going in there and I got a clothes rack on my right. I go in and I see my jacket on the floor and I, I, and it's half sticking out of my wardrobe. Now my wardrobe is this big Asian chest, right? Cause oh, hello, Ninja Samurai. You know, it's where I picture, I put my Samurai suit of armor. So now you know what it's like to live a short man. So you have to think these things, Pete, to make up for it. So I go to pull my jacket, which is sticking out of the bottom. And as I bend down to pull it, it opens the door on me. And this like Samurai cabinet thing has like this metal, 
part where you put a, a rod through, which Chris Langham, dang it, you lost that years ago, and I've not forgiven you when he housed it for me. And he still apologized about it, so I still rub it in. But anyways, I pull this thing, and this door just goes whack, and the metal piece catches me right here and just gouges it. And I go, and my daughter watches thing goes, it's just like she sees me bend down, pull this thing, and as I pull it, it's like I just, it, it almost looked like I just pulled the door and went whack into my head. Like, thank you, sir. I have another, you know, like I was looking for it. And uh, she laughs and goes, what did you just do? And I stand up and I go, I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it's going to leave a mark. That hurt. And I look and there's all this blood. Like, it was a divot, dude. I like, can tell because it looks like a black mark, but now I can tell it's a scar. It, it's, a, it's a scab, dude. And it just started, you know, um, and my wife's used to it. She didn't even bend an eyelid. You know, if Chandler bruises like a peach, Peyton bleeds like a tomato. Let me tell you, it is just not good. So, up with your life, man. So, between certain, this has been a bloody podcast. Talking about serial killers and head gouging. So, hey, we got a new president as of an hour and a half ago. Do we? Yeah. Do we, Pete? (laughs) (laughs) Joking, that was evil. Oh, that's so funny. That's no, so funny. You know what? I, I had someone put on their, their Facebook page, you know, hey, if you're a Christian, he, he quotes a Bible verse, you got to pray for our leaders and you got to follow them because God's put them over you. And, you know, and then, of course, that just starts <laughs> the eruption on his 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 uh, his feed, which I thought was funny because I'm like, whatever, dude, oh, dude, you got to laugh at this whole thing in America. Well, so then I, I go in there and I just comment. Yeah. We better pray for Biden because as bad as he is, the next two in line are worse. <laughs> Nothing better happen to Biden because I don't want Harris or Pelosi taking over that that top oh, man, spot. No kidding, right? Oh my gosh! I'm like so, yes, pray for Biden. Pray for Biden. <laughs> well, you know, there's something I guarantee every single one of you. If if you will pray for Biden and. Kamala Harris and all of them that I, you know, I, I realize the majority of, you know, white evangelicals is Republican. I mean, that's, that is the statistic, love it or not. I'm not saying you are out there. Um, and to me, you know, between Democrats and Republicans, I think they're both the same personally. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't 100%, think one baby. side is God's side. I 100%. don't, I, yeah. And so whoever or wherever you are, each each person on each side feels self-righteous and justified that they're on the side. I know right now, like Republicans are totally being shamed, um, which which is unfair, you know. Um, but, you know, uh, the reality is no matter where you're at, um, putting into practice that that part where Paul says pray for those in leadership, I guarantee you, if you start praying for the leadership. And if you always did this at any point in our, in our country's history, you prayed for the leadership, it would heal your heart and give you a a more Christ-like heavenly perspective. You're not, you're not in bondage to these people. They don't, they don't represent the kingdom. Um, They represent an earthly empire, which will one day fail. Um, But the, the kingdom that's everlasting you, you go to God and you you pray to that king for this local ruler. Um, 
It does something. And I, I, I'll tell you why. So I, I, I probably mentioned that after the textbook did I mention that I was going through the book of common prayer. No, all I remember is song of Solomon. And I'm still waiting for that to come out on through the word. Oh yeah. It's still being edited. And, uh, so much I want to say about that. So many songs <laughs> because it's a song. I keep wanting to inject like different songs into Song of Solomon. And as a joke, and one day I'm going to, I told him, I think I need to make two versions of this. One is like for the, for the little house on the prairie, homeschooling, almost Amish, no electricity family where, you know, it would be passable to them. But on the other hand, I think I also need to make a version that's like, Okay, um, here's what here's what it's saying. I think I need two different versions. One is like you know, warning, explicit adv- advisory content because it's all in there. Um, but gosh, my sense of humor with Billy Idol songs come into it. Things that I grew up with, um, songs like that that one uh, um, Steve Miller band song that is almost a word for word play off of. A second, and I can't mention it because people get offended. Um, and you know, I got to make sure it's not super, you know, uh, offensive. But um, oh my gosh, dude, it is where my mind goes when when I'm doing this book. I just remember Spurgeon saying, "My good woman, if you knew half the stuff I was holding back, you'd be commending me and not criticizing me." When she said, "You know, you're, you use too much sense of humor in the pulpit," and uh, I don't think it honors God. And he just said, "Hey." You knew what I was holding back. You'd, you'd be giving me compliments right now instead of criticism. But, um, but anyways, all that to say, where, where was it going with that? I have no I idea. I was saying about Book of Common Prayer. Okay. There is a daily um, prayer that you pray for leaders, and I've been praying that um, just because it's so good. Mm. And you got to remember, when this thing was written, man, it was it was when King Henry VIII was, was uh, king. And... Um, they, they definitely didn't agree with a lot of what he was doing. And, um, and there's just something healing. If you don't agree with a leader that's, that's in power, um, and for me, that's going to be whether it's a Republican or Democrat. I've just found that prayer. And you can Google it. It's free. It's out there. Book of Common Prayer. You can um, Google the, the, the prayer for, for your leaders. Um, say that every day for 30 days and see what happens. One of the one of my buddies at church, he's got this T-shirt that says, uh, uh, "Defend the country against all enemies, Democrat and Republican." <laughs> right? Like, oh, I like that shirt. It's so. Well, funny. Abraham Lincoln did say that the that the worst threat America had was that would that would come from within. And oh, totally. right now, I see evidence of that on both sides. I see threats from both sides of the aisle. Um, and, and going back to the overwhelming belief that I believe our founding fathers had, which I've mentioned many times, that people are stupid. And the majority of people are very stupid. And so a lot of our Constitution was, was there to protect us from our own stupidity. And uh, I think it's a good document. I, I don't think it's perfect, but uh, I think it's pretty good. And as long as it keeps doing its job, protecting us from how stupid we are, I think we'll be okay. But um, apparently, um, we've just demonstrated how close up to the line we can get with being as stupid as we can be without completely wrecking the whole thing. I think we've still got more to show. (laughs) 
I don't, I don't see the stupid stopping anytime soon. I don't know. I mean, I would say the Civil War would have been more past the line well, than that, we are today. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, the Civil War was an important dispute. Like, America needed to to, to work that one out. I don't know that it ever got worked out um, on states' rights, but definitely on slavery. That was, right. uh, yeah. that was a good thing. You no. know, I, I still think the issue of states' rights is a very real um, relevant debate going on today um, that we haven't solved that problem yet. What, how much federal government, how much state. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Know? I'd agree. But I, I, I don't, I don't think it can be at this point um, because it's almost like there are no state rights anymore. It's yeah, federal government. And then. Wasn't you know, it Reagan that said, um, you know, that the, he said something to the effect of my message is, you know, federal government, stay out of our lives, stay out of our morals and stay out of our pocket. No, that was his, his attitude towards the federal. Government. Whose was that? Reagan. Really? Huh. Yeah. You know, that's the thing with the stimulus money. That's, that's really, um, I've not, I've not had a piece about taking stimulus money, man. I just, whether it's church or whether it's individual, I just wanted nothing to do with it. Um, I just just don't feel right about the government just handing me money. And I, I just know there's a well, because, price tag. Well, it's not just that there's a price tag, but it's literally not even figuratively. It's literally stolen from somebody right. and then given to you. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you got to remember, you got grandma and grandpa who can barely make ends meet, but. You know, now their social security is taxed and we're taking that money from them under threat of violence. You don't give this to us. We're going to take all your property. We'll put you in jail, whatever gun to your head is what I call it. And we're going to go give it over here to someone else. That's that's taxes and what's happening. So yeah, of course it's, it's literally taken from someone else. Where do you think the money comes from? <laughs> yeah. It's got to come from somewhere. I mean, without getting more into it, because we do need to get into the topic, but just having that system that, you know, everything goes opposite every time a new new president or new con, just how all the decisions that were made get, um, and we're seeing that right now, that's all over the news. And you're like, man, I, I could just imagine what it'd be like if every four years, your business just said, you know, we're going to do the opposite of everything that we're going to do on principle. You know, I may, maybe it would work. I don't know. You know, I do think, I do agree that the best uh, uh, legislation is bipartisan. I do think you need the two different opinions going at all times. I would hate to see either side of the aisle um, rule the day. I would hate to see that. Um, I do think that you need different perspectives. I think that's just good leadership. But anyway, I think the funniest meme that I, I saw on the internet recently was uh, someone said, uh, maybe we should, maybe it's a good thing that the uh, border wall wasn't put in because we might need to leave the country soon or something like that. But talking about how Trump wanted to build the border wall and that's I just fun. thought it was hilarious. I'm like, well, the rate we're going right now, I don't know what's going to happen to this country. We're tearing ourselves apart. We are. We are. And, uh, of course, depending on what, what side you're on, that's either Russia or China's fault. So both of them have the boogeyman. I don't think it's to. either one of theirs' fault. It's us. We. I'm just saying, if you depending on what narrative, it's each yeah. one has the boogeyman, you know? 
is it Krampus or Satan? I don't know. You know, I mean, each one what of them was, has their thing. Somebody was pushing. It was either Hillary or Pelosi was pushing for another Russian collusion. <laughs> and uh, I was both like, both of them, both of them on her podcast. Is that what it was? I don't yeah, think you, you know, it's funny. Me. I know this. And yet this week I said, right, I'm staying out. I'm, I'm checking out now. I'm out of the politics, um, which I've been saying for a while that I was just going to stay out of it because, um, you know, w- when you're when you're not either one, it doesn't. But it's just so fascinating. I mean, I keep because t- my daughter will talk about it. And, you know, like I I am celebrating the fact that Kamala Harris is in um, not because I mean, hey, she's from my state. She's. I'm not an admirer of any leader in California, but I am glad that for my girls, they get to see a woman of color enter that role. That's a huge deal. The fact that the woman, and I got two daughters, the fact that it's a woman of color, it does matter. Um, whether or not she does a good yep. job, let's hope that as uh, is, is one of, I think. Well, and she'll be president. Know. She'll be president sometime in the yeah. next four years. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, anything can happen though. Right? I think they were planning on that. I mean, it I does, think even it does he was planning on that. That's why I'm like, pray for Biden, pray for Biden. <laughs> well, it does seem that way. Well, hey, let's uh, let's get into our topic. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Man, that, that I know we got on here late. Who needs but, a sound uh, effects machine when you got me? I'm, I'm trying to, to to take our smack talk down a little bit. I was trying to behave today. Last week was just all smack talk, if you remember. You just gave up. You're like, all right, well, this episode's going to be smack talk. That's it. But hey, today I want to talk about discipleship, which in one of my books, Reaching the Unreached, cha-ching, I make the statement that nothing unlocks people's gifts like discipleship. And gift activation is the key. It's the key to gospel expansion, as witnessed by the first century. When Acts 2.42, you know, they met met daily, breaking bread, praying, uh, meeting around the apostles' teaching. That stuff was what led to gift activation. Remember Peter's speech at Pentecost was about gift activation. He said, you know, your young men will see visions, your your old women will, will dream dreams, or old men... And he says, this promise is to you on your men servants. I'll pour out my spirit on your maiden servants, male, female, old, young, doesn't matter. Socioeconomic status doesn't matter. He says, this promise is to you and all your children and to as many as the Lord our God shall call. So he's saying, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. It's going to empower you. Your gifts are going to be activated. And then, of course, that's what we see happening in Jerusalem, is their gifts get activated. So if you want to hear a little bit more of this, go to ministryninja.com or even the Ministry Ninja podcast. And we, Are you really plugging another podcast? I am, yeah. Because we literally, these are parallel topics this week of all weeks, because we've been taken apart reaching the unreached chapter by chapter. But I actually invited them to come over here to hear me unpack this aspect, which is the this aspect of discipleship that doesn't get talked about too much. But if you listen to this podcast, you probably already know where I stand. But I want to read you a little bit of, a, of an excerpt from the upcoming book, which is Church Plantology. Cha-ching! Um, in his discipleship book, Guardrails, Alan Briggs regularly stopped at 10.02 a.m. to pray Luke 10.2, that the Lord would send more laborers into the harvest. He felt God asked him what he'd do if he was sent 10 hungry leaders 
tomorrow in answer to his prayer. Riggs confesses, I was the bottleneck to my own prayers. My desire to disciple others, to equip everyday folks to join God's work was clouded by unsustainability. My systems were maxed out. I either needed to change my systems or change my prayers. That was really powerful. Hmm. Because, because what happens with Acts 2.42 is they activate the believers in front of them, not leaders, just believers. And those believers head on up to Judah uh, or Judea um, and up eventually to Antioch. The gospel spreads as a result of Saul of Tarsus laying down the smack. And when they get up there, God just starts birthing this movement. And the apostles go, hey, we got to send someone up there to uh, go check it out. Barnabas, go up there. And Barnabas goes, well, I'm going to grab Paul because he came through. He said that the work would start among the Gentiles. It's happening without leadership. It's happening naturally. And guess what the kickoff was? Acts 2.42. Those discipled believers, well-discipled believers, anywhere well-discipled believers go, movement's going to happen. So that's the power of discipleship. And for those of you that, that maybe need a little bit of extra convincing, can you hear that background noise? No, because of your mic it's setting. It's doing its job. It's just keeping me from screeching like a like a banshee. Like excited, banshee. Excited banshee. Pre-team. Banshee. Yes. But when 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 Ralph Moore um you know was was tracing you know the, the fruit of his discipling people for 50 years straight, three people at a time. That's what Ralph Moore does. Um, He found that there was 2,300 churches, over 2,300. And I think if you talk to him, he keeps getting feedback because he trained these disciples to make disciples. He he wasn't just making disciples. He was making disciple makers. And at at one point, it was over 2,700 churches. And so, Excuse me, but that's the difference between planting a, a seed to grow a single tree and planting an orchard. It's going to keep seeding more trees. So, um, but discipleship is is kind of the core of what Jesus did. So, when you're looking at church planning, you can't you can't just think I'm going to run a Sunday service because that's eventually like Alan Briggs. That's going to bottleneck. It's going to bottleneck everything. Um, your church is going to just like be bottlenecked behind your own capacity. And if you've ever been a leader, you have to start thinking from day one, how does this grow beyond me? And discipleship is the key. That's why Jesus, the core of his ministry was, how does this not grow beyond me? It was always going to be about him. But Jesus's thought was, I'm here for three years physically, and then I'm gone. I've got to hand this off. I've got to multiply myself. And of course, Paul caught on to this as he was ministering because uh, Paul eventually knew, I'm going to die. I mean, he only had a 12-year run in the book of Acts. We, we don't know exactly how long he, he lived after Acts 28, but um, his run that's chronicled is anywhere from 11 to 12 years. So that's what you're seeing as a snapshot. But Paul knew, I'm going to die. And, and I'm, 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 I'm amazed that I lasted this long. I've been in prison. I know I'm going to go back to prison again. So he continues to disciple. And so if you think about discipleship, 
the the word apprenticeship might be more helpful. So uh, think of what an apprentice is. If I apprentice with you, Pete, I'm going to watch you do what you do. And I've seen you apprentice entrepreneurs when we did the Bible Inner Circle. Um, you basically told them, I'm going to show you how to do everything I do, right? And what, yep. what were the tactics that you used to do that? What were the tactics I used to show them how I yeah. do what I do? Yeah. Well, I would walk them through the principle of it. And I think that was like, that was step one here. I want you to hear the principle, knowing full well that they're not going to understand it till they see it in action. So and true. so then it was like, okay, now on our call. So I do one call where it was like all training. Here's the principle. Here's what I want you to understand about this. And then in our interactive calls, they would come with a business that they're working with, or, you know, I'd be talking about a business that I'm working with, and then we'd see it actually play out in the business. And that's when everything would start to connect and be like, okay, now I understand the principle. Now I see how you do what you do. Right. And you would also have them kind of launch out. Um, you would have them do things like they would go broker these deals. They would have meetings. And what, what did you do with them after that? When they do a meeting, they usually come back yeah. with any questions that they got. Right. And they, and, and I remember being in that box and they'd be like, Hey, you know, this and that happened. Um, you know, uh, he said this and I said this and you'd be like, okay, okay. So in that situation, what I do, so you were like, literally, there's a couple things there. you would teach them. Like Jesus taught his disciples. You would model for them. Like you would, Hey, here, here guys, you'd have videos. This is what I do. Then you would let them try it, which is a key to what Jesus did. Right. So think, think of that. And, and then you would debrief with them. Right. So, and then eventually they would just start running on their own, making it their own, but they would still keep tabs with you and say, Hey Pete, I did that. I ran. Soon it would become rather than, Hey, I've got my first contractor. Hey, there's a, it would be, Hey Pete, I ran into this today, right. you know, or, Hey, what do you guys think about? It? And there was this group thing going on, but that's like a, I remember saying to you at the time, dude, you just set up a discipleship group. That's literally what you did. And it became like this, this church planting business discipleship group. It was an entrepreneurial church planner hybrid, but a discipleship group. And that's exactly what it was. And guys were sharing their hearts and, you know, leaking blood and crying tears and not you because you're a fratty man, but it was discipleship. And, and you were the mentor and your hope for them was that they would need you eventually. Right. I mean, that, that the relationship would change and you would have a peer of equals, really. Or, or maybe even guys that went beyond you. And I, I, I think that's every minister. If they went dream. beyond me, only if they also then funneled back a little thank you money, <laughs> then, then I'm cool with that. Yeah. So here, here's the deal. When, when you're looking at um, every, everything that we talk about when it, when it comes to discipleship, we don't disciple people when they come to faith. We just give them a couple pointers. Like, you know, read the Bible. You should pray. We don't take people into that. Like, do you pray with people? Do you study the Bible with them? Um, do you, uh, when you lead somebody to Jesus, do you, do you take them out witnessing? That was one of the keys for me is the guy who led me to Jesus. He took me out witnessing that week. He goes, and, and I know for those of you listening, you're like, oh, that's so 80s, right? Like we would take tracks and we'd go down to the beach. That was good for me. Right. Because it, it, it activated something in me at a young age. And that was, you need to tell other people about this. And I can remember telling my friend um, that week, 
uh, hey, dude. In fact, I was taken out on a Saturday. I called my buddy on a Monday, right? So it was still within a week. I got saved on Thursday. And I know that because I remember what night the Bible study was. Um, got saved in the back of a 66 Mustang right after Bible study. Went out witnessing on Saturday and then called my friend up on Monday. And he came to faith over the phone. I thought, well, this is easy, you know, but, but I was taken out to go share the gospel right away. That became part of my discipleship. And I remember that day running into problems because he goes, hey, go talk to those girls over there. And we were on the beach. And, you know, they were girls my age. And I was like, no, I can't talk to anyone else. And I go, no. And, and my buddy looks at me and goes, what do you mean no? So those are girls. <laughs> and he goes, so? And I go, yeah, no, I'm too embarrassed. And he took me aside and he goes, look, man, those girls need Jesus. They're not different than anybody else. Why, why are you looking at them different? And I'm like, huh. And, and discipleship was happening right there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And this, this is one of the key things that I think that we need to realize about discipleship is there are three things. First off, disciple means student, means apprentice. So if you apprentice a plumber, you take him with you uh, and, and you, you show him this is how you run pipes. This is how you weld. This is how you make sure it's waterproof. This is how you check your work. This is how you... Uh, you bill and contract. This is how you you do everything. But then you also want that apprentice to do things so that you can watch them. And when Jesus did it, he taught them. He spent time with them, life on life. But he also took them on mission. And you can't ever fully disciple someone unless you've taken them out on mission. You just can't do it. So one of the the frequent things that um, that we do is we, 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 we send people to seminary and they get a head chock full of knowledge of things they'll never do. Right. Um, they, they learn about scripture, but they don't learn about mission. And if we teach a mission, we have them read books on mission. We don't actually put them out on mission. And that's one of the problems because the number one thing to make disciples to, to activate their gifts, like we're talking in the beginning is to actually get them out on mission. That's where people's gifts come alive. So if I take you on a short-term mission trip and I bring you back, um, I literally can't, um, I can't have you sit in a pew anymore as a spectator. I need you to be a participant. I, I, you become an activist when you get off the mission field because you're like, I can't just sit here and do nothing anymore. And it activates your gifts, which is why Jesus trained the 12 for three years on nonstop mission. When I say nonstop mission, I don't mean he didn't go on retreats. He did. We know that. You know, he goes up in the mountainside to pray, takes three with him. He goes in the boat and crosses the water and spends some time, a couple days by himself. We see that. So he took breaks. But for three years, he was on nonstop mission. And he discipled those guys on the way. And that's how you have to do it. So um, you can do it in groups. You know, Jesus had a group of 5,000. He wasn't pretty. In, he wasn't very intimate with them. He told him, "Eat my flesh and drink my blood." He weeded those guys out. He had a crowd of five hundred that we see that he ascends in front of. We see a group of one hundred twenty in the upper room. We see a group of seventy-two missionaries that he sends out. Okay, we're getting serious now. Then he has the twelve, and then he has three: John, James, and Peter, and lastly, 
he has one-on-one discipleship that we see like when he takes Peter um, and he hasn't paid the taxes. So we see this discipleship going on and in the smaller the group becomes, the more intimate the discipleship. And uh, there's so much more to unpack about discipleship, but we are now out of time. So Pete, when you're doing all this discipling, obviously you need to uh, do your, you know, your church's books and, you know, paychecks and payroll and whatnots. How do you do all that? I don't do it. <laughs> Who does it, Pete? Uh, SimplifyChurch.com. They take care of all of those needs for me. What? Who is yeah. that? Well, there's this dude named Josh Henry, which, by the way, I talked to him yesterday. He says hi. Hi. Hi, Josh. And he does it all for us. Takes care of everything. All of it. And where do I go find this Josh Henry? Josh, uh, uh, I almost said Josh, Josh Henry. Henry. Com? <laughs> I wonder if he's got that. <laughs> Simplifychurch.com. One more time. Simplifychurch.com. Simplifychurch.com. You heard it from Church Planner Podcast, and this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell, and we've been reminding you today, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church